from Relay FM. This is Download, episode number 85, our 2018 year in review, posted January 1st, 2019. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. This is our look back at 2018, our New Year's Day edition of Download. I am your host, Jason Snell. I am joined, as always, by producer Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. We've made it around the sun another time. But this isn't liftoff, so we're not going to talk about space and related subjects. But we are going to talk about the tech stories of the year with... Now, okay... We love all of our panelists on Download. We have lots of them over the course of the year. But I'm sure that our other panelists will not be offended too much if we say we're joined by our two favorite panelists. I'm playing favorites. I am. uh, Carolina Milanese is here. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome back. And Lisa Schmeiser also. Hello. You just made my day. Oh, a podcast likes me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So the idea here is the biggest themes and stories of 2018. Uh, Stephen and I have picked some. We asked listeners to pick some. We asked uh, Carolina and Lisa to pick some uh, to pick some uh, stories out of the grab bag for them and make a prediction. And we'll we'll do that in this episode. That's what it's going to be about. Now, the first overarching subject that I feel like Stephen and I, so Stephen and I did the uh, subnet podcast, which we we put in the ground a couple weeks ago, but we did that. Uh, Stephen did it for, what, 11 months of the year, which means that you were, you know, every day, more or less, looking at at the tech headlines. Plus, we were doing this show where we're looking at all the tech headlines and trying to sweep up kind of some general trends. And I think the, maybe the biggest trend this year in terms of the stories that we kept on talking about is a larger swath of the populace realizing that tech companies and their business models and their data collection habits are shall we say problematic is <laughs> a word the, that that it's not just about cool tech toys and great uh, investment returns and awesome startups that are getting funded but that there is this other side of it um, Facebook had a really bad year in terms of scrutiny uh, and press and things coming out. And they didn't have a great year the year before, but <laughs> another one. Uh, lots of tech companies got to talk to Congress in, here in the United States. Uh, most recently, Sundar Pichai of Google. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, of course, famously got to explain the business model of Facebook to senators. Uh, the European Union implemented GDPR <laughs> this year. Um, and then, and more broadly, there has been an increased focus on privacy, accountability. There have been some massive data leaks, which has been happening for the last few years. So, you know, I, I just, it's worth talking about, like, is this, I had a, I had a particularly um, kind of uh, despondent conversation with a friend of mine yesterday over breakfast, uh, where he said that he doesn't think that in the end, people will really notice and understand that Facebook and Google and other tech companies have these, uh, you know, business models and these data collection practices that are that are are, are problematic, as I said. And I just, I, I'm not sure I agree with that. I feel like we crossed a boundary this year, and whether it will lead to change, I don't know. But it felt to me like we crossed a boundary in how the people at large view what is going on in big tech companies. Uh, Carolina, what do you think? Did Do you think that this was a year where we're going to say um, our, our view of tech companies changed? I think it's been a year overall where tech has been seen in a different way. And social media, I think, was a big part of that and those business models. But I tend to agree with you and your friend at the same time. So your view of Yes, we realize a bit more what's going on, uh, although, you know, Zuckerberg still says that they don't sell our data. So why (laughs) should we worry? Right. But the the point is, will we change? And that's the part where I'm, I'm still not sure, because at the end of the day is what is the return for you as a user? And for a lot of people, to be honest with you, that 
voyeuristic part of being on social media and seeing everybody else's perfect life, hoping that actually it's not that perfect, so you feel a bit better about mm. yourself, mm-hmm. um, is a big part of why they're on social media. Now, if, if you are on social media, I, I talked on this pod- podcast before about how I do it to make sure that I connect with people that I haven't seen in a while. And, you know, my mom lives in Italy, so it's a way for her to connect with with my daughter growing up because uh, she sees her once a year. And that for me has changed a little bit. So I put a little bit less uh, on Facebook. I started using Instagram. How ironic is that? Because it's like, you know, it's the same product. So it's hard to think, where do you go? And I've seen people say, yeah, okay, you know, I pulled back from Facebook. I deleted my account or, you know, I'm not going to go on it anymore. I use Twitter. Okay, you know, you use Twitter and I I do too. And it's a different kind of uneasiness, right, that comes with Twitter, which is more about abuse and and just a harsh environment for a lot of times, um, especially for some demographics. So there doesn't seem to be like a social media platform today that you kind of go on and it's totally okay, you know, that that you don't see anything wrong with it. And I'm not a Snapchat user. I'm way too old and I live in the US. It's not a thing. (laughs) Uh, But I know that in Europe, a lot of people use that. And so far, you know, they get a bigger return um, than any concern that there's there. So, you know, changing behavior is not easy, especially when you don't feel that you've been impacted personally. Uh, I think in some ways Facebook was actually a uh, substitute or a scapegoat for conversations people don't quite know how to have about the increasing aggregation and polarization of the job market, economic sorting, and how the tech industry is the engine of a 21st century economy. Um, So I I think it's real. Well, I think that we should be concerned about the way a lot of tech companies treat and use our data. I am not sure this is why people got head up at them this year. I think they got head up because those companies stand for things that impact their life more directly, which is, you know, the beauty pageant to put high paying jobs in places that are already lousy with high paying jobs, as opposed to spreading them around the country or, um, you know, they're angry because, again, jobs are shifting to place to to industries that didn't even exist 20 years ago. That said, um, I am not I'm not sure anything will significantly change absent significant legislation, because in the same year where we keep hearing about all of these things that happened to our data and how it doesn't have to be this way, people were still totally buying into smart appliances and smart homes and generating more data without giving it a second thought. So, so I'm, I'm a little skeptical about whether or not this is going to have any lasting impact absent, you know, a concerted lobbying effort by people like, no, no, you don't understand data is worth something. You should have rights attached to those data. And right now those, those ideas aren't taking traction. I don't think. Sometimes I think it's the issue of, are we getting, um, are we getting something for nothing or is this a negative thing that directly impacts us? And, you know, we do get something for nothing, whether it's, you know, Facebook or it's Instagram or it's Amazon two-day shipping or anything like that. Yeah. And and maybe we don't pay attention to the consequences as much. Yeah. But um, but there are other other ways. I mean, Lisa touched on it a little bit. Enabling the gig, gig economy is an interesting yeah. example where if nobody has a, a job anymore and everybody's just a freelancer and the p- standard of living of people goes down, that that would have an appreciable impact on people's lives and might affect more change. But a lot of this stuff is, you know, conceptual, but it's not something, you know, again, you're trading it for something great, like Facebook is free. Hooray, right? Like yes. the, the Amazon Prime shipping is free. And you, we, we don't think about the warehouse workers and we don't think about the, the waste in the in the uh, supply chain or the uh, the delivery chain. And, and, and so we just kind of let it go. I had not fully grasped the... Um vastness of the Amazon Prime infrastructure until I drove across the country with my mom. And um, we just kept passing all of these trains that were laid, that were laden, laden with containers. And we kept passing all of these shipping centers and all of these trucks on the road, so many UPS and FedEx trucks and so many delivery systems. And I, you know, I mentioned to my mom's like, I don't remember seeing this 
much shipping traffic the last time you and I drove across the country and what's changed? And they were like, e-commerce, e-commerce is hit. And so Mm. it's, it's amazing because you, you're going through deserts and you just see these really big shipping outposts and it, it makes a sort of elegant sense from logistics perspective. I mean, it's, it's a very tightly locked in geographic distribution, but it's changed the experience even of just driving across the country in the middle of nowhere because there's no longer in the middle of nowhere. There's a UPS truck like pacing you every time. <laughs> so. hmm. But I thought what you said, Liz, about the vastity, I guess, of the whole Facebook debacle, because I touched on my comments more on the consumer behavior and the impact of your own data, but you, rightly so, were talking about from a business and um, legislative perspective, there's so much bundled in that debacle, right? Because you're thinking about data and it's like, okay, you're fine giving the data. You know, let's assume for a second that I'm well aware of what Facebook does with, with my data and I'm fine with it. But I want my data to be protected and I want to make sure that I know where it goes and to what extent is used. And this is going to become an issue more and more, right? We're not just, even with people that are very clear that you pay for a service and, you know, they're not using you um, as part of their product. So where that data is stored, how is used, who gets to see it, you know, all of that, it, I don't think that we realize how much still needs to be done um, from, and I'm not talking just about the government stepping in, because if one thing was clear from, you know, the the chats in Washington, uh, yeah, not a lot of clarity there. You know, if a Norman Joe on on the street doesn't understand the business model, Washington clearly doesn't, right? Uh, From how the business model works to, you know, who manufactures iPhones. Uh, you know, it seems to be all a bit confusing <laughs> oh, there. Boy. Uh, but, you know, there, there's there's a lot that needs to be um, unraveled and unpacked and, and looked at. And I don't know how long it's going gonna, it's gonna to take for uh, the company first to admit there is a problem or there is something that is now bigger than what they anticipated. And therefore, you know, new things need to to happen and they need to think about it in a different way. And it's not going to be AI, right? Mm. That's not the panacea of uh, solving all this issue. Uh, There needs to be some human brains involved in this and and trying to to unravel it. There was a very sad op-ed piece in the Washington Post, um, I want to say like two weeks ago, and it was from one of their video producers who um, had a stillbirth back at the end of November. And what she was saying was, why am I oh, getting I read that? Yes. Yeah, why am I getting all the targeted ads for diapers? Why am I getting all the targeted ads for my baby's milestones? If you were able to read my search history and all of my social media postings to track the progress of my pregnancy, why didn't you then contextualize the Google searches for the baby isn't moving or the posts I made on social media where I had to announce that, why are you um, moving along this trajectory? And when I read that piece, um, the first two things I thought were, number one, you can tell that the people who wrote those algorithms literally did not think of worst case scenarios or or any scenario other than the one in which it was going to be a continuing and evolving revenue stream. And that's a great example of bias on the programmer side, because these are people who could not or did not think through everything, either because they have no personal experience or they have no social context for it. And then the second thing I thought is the reason this woman's so frustrated is because for a lot of people, tech is so faceless. You have no one person you can go to directly with a complaint. So if I had had this terrible tragedy happen to me and I'm still getting pelted with ads, how do I fix that? Who do I go to? Is there any place I can complain? And the answer a lot of the time is no. And for for Americans, many of whom are conditioned to see consumer activity as um, swaddled in the same type of rights as civic activity. For Americans, it's really infuriating if you don't have a manager you can go talk to or a place to go. And I think that might actually be um, 
something that business that, that, that tech companies could capitalize on is the idea that we have our little AI working out in the back, but we have real people talking to our users in the front. And the company that manages to do that successfully may find themselves winning the PR game and able to set the agenda. I totally agree on that. And and I think you started to see it already uh, with smart companies, with with social media, you know, because that is become your your way to interact. God for you know, I don't want to pick up the phone and call somebody. Um and, and there are companies who totally get it. Uh and there are companies who are absolutely useless and they don't, you know, because on the phone, you can, not that helps a lot of times, it doesn't help that you hear my voice escalating and, you know, me huffing and puffing and on you get the same answer on the other side. It's like, look, doesn't work for my husband when I do it. So it's not going to work on me either. Like, don't <laughs> give me the same answer over and over. <laughs> But on social media, it, you know, there are companies who are extremely smart and take away that pain. And, and to, exactly to your point, I think that the key of you still need humans that have that interaction to understand the nuances and then take that knowledge and feed it back into, you know, the big brain. Uh, and that's why you need people that have experiences, but you need people that have different backgrounds and, and, that is, it's, I don't know why it's so hard for people to understand, you know, for people involved in AI. And there's a lot of lip service that is done now to, you know, we need to make sure that uh, we take care of diversity, you know. But look at how often we look at technology for, without thinking about how technology can change the life of somebody who is not privileged, male, white, fully able, and so forth, right? There yeah. there are so many things that um, technology helps you facilitate if you have, you know, any, uh, you know, disadvantages from like economic perspective or um, from a, from a um, just ability, um, you know, seeing, hearing, um, and, you know, all of this, that is good. Um, some people were pointing out, how, for instance, on Facebook, the coming together as a community to raise funds for for people, and there's GoFundMe and so forth. But you know, that is one good thing that Facebook seems to have done right. Um, and you know, and 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 I agree with that. There, we experienced it in in our own community uh, during the fires. Um, you know, coming together and being able to help locally um, is is quite powerful. Yeah, we were able, we were able to pull together a Girl Scout service project in under a day, which was which was great. Um, I was just thinking, uh, I've I, I have not I've probably not done as much flying as you have this year, but I've done a fair amount. And what I've noticed is whenever you have um, the self check in experience, the sheer number of people who will stand there, yes, just <laughs> baffled until a human being comes over and intervenes for them is really high. And it's not like you can say, oh, it's everybody over 45 who clearly hates technology or something like that. It's just there are people who, when faced with, um, and, and this is just the way they work, they, they move through the world. And I want to emphasize there's something wrong with this, but they're going to come to a computer screen and it's not obvious to them what the sequence of steps in the task are. And they're going to vapor lock. <laughs> and, that's <when> human be <laughs> and that's when human beings have to come over. And I think we're going to see more companies, I hope we're going to see this, more companies recognizing that just because the task flow makes sense internally, just because the task flow helps them make clean code in the backside, just because the task flow can be standardized and, and rolled out quickly, doesn't mean that it's going to land. And human beings are necessary, um, you know, to help. You need people who help other people feel good about the company, about the experience, about the product, and feel like there's a human face that cares about them and connect, can connect to them and listen to their feedback and walk them through what they want to do. We'll solve all that with machine learning, Lisa. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. First, I want to take a break, tell you about our first sponsor on this episode. This episode of Download brought to you in part by 
ExpressVPN. Now, we've seen a lot in the media lately about online security breaches. Those are bad. Those are very bad. It's only natural to worry about where your data goes, especially when something as simple as sending an email can put your private information at risk. Chances are you are being tracked by social media sites, marketing companies, and possibly even your internet provider itself. And not only can they record your browsing history, they can sell it to people who want to profit from your information. Boo. Take back your privacy with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing. It encrypts your data and hides your public IP address. You can turn on ExpressVPN protection with one click. The easy-to-use apps run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet, and it costs $7 a month. Less, less than $7 a month. ExpressVPN was rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It even comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you ever use public Wi-Fi and want to keep the bad guys away from your data, you need to use ExpressVPN. I've been trying it out on my iPad. Uh, I was able to get it to work Super easy, easy to install, easy to set up, easy to engage. You can launch the ExpressVPN app and tap a really big button that says connect. Um, And of course, you can also set what country your VPN is coming from. And I'm not saying that I watched uh, an episode of Doctor Who on the BBC using ExpressVPN, but maybe I did. I don't know. Uh, I like the idea that Comcast or Starbucks or whoever is not going to see my data when I'm uh, when I'm at their uh, uh, using their services. I, I like that too. They don't get to know what I'm doing on the internet. It's none of their business. If you don't want your online history in the hands of your internet provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free with a one-year package at expressvpn.com slash download podcast. That's expressvpn.com slash download podcast for three extra months free with a one-year package. expressvpn.com slash download podcast. Go there to learn more. Thank you to ExpressVPN for supporting download and all of Relay FM. You know, the, the phrase that I think about, and this phrase has never been applied to anything that ended poorly, so there's no baggage with it. But it feels like Facebook like really is too big to fail, right? Like the, it consumes, uh, I say that massively tongue in cheek, but it, if it consumes so much about so much of our lives for people who are on it and people like me who aren't on it. Like I, I have like a re like the FOMO is real, right? Like I, I am missing things in people's lives and uh, I choose that that is an okay sacrifice for me because I don't want to be on the platform but it is just the default place for so many things. If it's not Facebook, it's Instagram or WhatsApp, also owned by Facebook, right? The, the footprint is just so large. Anytime we talk about what is the backlash going to be from people, uh, will we ever see any real change in this company? And maybe it's a lack of imagination on my part, but I really struggle to see a world past Facebook being what it is today, just because it controls so much, you know, there, we used to joke about, oh, there was MySpace and there was Tumblr and there's all these things that sort of rose in popularity and then crested and then went, went away. And uh, Facebook has crested so much higher than any of those, than most of them combined. Mm. It, it's hard to imagine it going away or being radically different, you know, being broken up, whatever you want to say. Uh, and I just I just don't know what that looks like after this. You know, we are a new territory where people are upset and people are, you know, they're being drugged in front of Congress. But like, does any of it really matter? I'm not sure that it does. I don't know what to I don't know where to go from there. It's like Facebook everywhere you turn. I think it's too big to fail, but not too big to be regulated. And that's the one thing that yeah. I will say is that when the tide turns in terms of sort of public opinion, it casts potentially cast Facebook and other tech companies as villains and then it becomes you know despite the money and there will always be money that will be lobbied uh, used to lobby politicians about this there are winning battles and losing battles and I feel like we're already at the point where regulation for these companies is a fait accompli it will happen and the question is how watered down will it be but if the people if the general perception in the public is that these companies and that especially uh, Facebook is uh, up to no good and out to get us and not acting in our best interests they uh, they could be regulated and they could that would be the only thing that might change their behavior until whatever next innovation comes along to make Facebook irrelevant or and Instagram and WhatsApp and you know all the others that they own all the all the all the Facebooks I wonder if part of that would be to actually try and understand from a from a psychological perspective why 
we do Facebook. And it's going to be different for so many people, right? But to, to Stephen's point, it's so big and there's so many different ways that people interact with it that finding something else that substitutes like one thing that does all of it for all of us in one platform is impossible, right? Because I, I, I was thinking as Stephen was talking about, um, you know, FOMO and all of that, you know, is uh, we still see those magazine usually of a of a checkout of a supermarket with you know the life of the royals and um, the celebrities and all those kind of hello and whatever. I don't even know the, the equivalent of the, the US here, but hello <laughs> magazine is a big one in the UK, right? And and they still sell and they you know those magazine have been because. That's what we want to know as as mortal. We want to know how the the better people live and, and all of that. And I think that's become part of Facebook. But for other people, it's just to interact. For people that live too far away is a way to keep, you know, with the life. And But how do you do that? Where do you go? If you try and, and kind of take away layer by layer what Facebook does for people, you're going to need 10 different platforms that do different things. And it's not like you can't do it today, right? I could, instead of posting stuff on Facebook, send an email every day with a picture to my mom, right? So part of it is convenience too, where you kind of put one thing and we're lazy and so everybody can <laughs> see it and that's that. So the, I think there's so much from a just a how society has changed that plays in Facebook, you know, fever, that is that and that's not about regulation right so the regulation is going to take care of us being knowing what we do and then making sure our data is uh kind of looked after and taken care of and that the powerful don't get even more powerful but then there's the other part for me that nobody seems to be concerned about and it's the same thing with screen time and you know kids addiction and all of that why are we talking about all the technology side and what technology should be doing? And we're not talking about why is this happening? Why? And I know why, because on Christmas Day, it was more convenient for me that my daughter stayed, played Fortnite for four hours straight instead of me having a big argument on Christmas Day. You know, there's humans on the other side, but we don't seem to want to ask the questions about where society is going and, and why things are happening the way they are. So one of the things I've noticed about Facebook is a lot of people do their socializing in the comments. <clears throat> in, and, and what I mean is one of my cousins had a baby and she'll post a picture. And of course, everybody is like, oh my gosh, it's great. And then like five more of my cousins will have a discussion with each other in the comments. Like, and it, it may not, it, sometimes it has something to do with the baby, however, tangentially like, oh, buffalo plaid. And then like next thing you know, there's 15 messages about, do you remember the shirt mom made us wear for family pictures in 1962? And they're off and running. And I was thinking this is kind of the dark genius of Facebook is you can get the voyeuristic thing. <clears throat> where you're sliding by and you're like, no, oh, that's what my, my, my lab partner from high school's up to. Or you have all these types of accidental socialization that <clears throat> you'd have to work really hard to replicate someplace else. Because I was thinking, even if I set up like a family email listserv, getting people to participate and have those kinds of spontaneous conversations would take work. And it's, it's work they don't, it's work that they don't have to do right now. Or if you set up a family, uh, another friend of mine has set up a family photo album on I've one of those services where he's like, I just email out the account information to people and they can go look. And I thought, well, that's great. They can go look at the photos, but <laughs> there are a lot of people in my family who like talking about the photos or like commenting on the photos because for them, it's the prelude to a conversation. Like Carolina has said, we have gotten to the point where our social interactions are so habituated to this kind of spontaneous and ongoing socialization. If we were to say, okay, no more of that. We're siloing conversations on this on this medium. You can see your pictures here. You're no longer going to have an excuse to do a drive-by to see what this person you knew in college for a semester is doing. People are like, 
no, <laughs> I can get all of that in one place. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, and now they're all there. How do they, you can't get them to, to leave. Like there, there's a, a, a serious lock in there. And that's, I mean, that's why I'm still on Facebook, even though I don't want to be, is that there are people who can only reach me that way and I can only reach them that way. Yeah. That's the only reason. Well, that, and it's basically my daughter's de facto baby book, which is right. again, an, another sure. societal change. I didn't have the time or the energy to do a traditional baby book. And so- it's all on Facebook. I could probably pull down the data, but then that's ex- that's extra work. We will move on to another big subject: um, the ever-changing world of smartphones. The most important technology product, perhaps in existence, the smartphone. Uh, in 2018, there was a lot going on, as you might expect. But the world is changing uh, in the in in maybe some unexpected ways. Uh, increased competition in the smartphone category. Of course, everybody wants a piece of the pie. Uh, but perhaps some flattening smartphone sales, so the changing of the market a little bit. Um, the uh, photography as a major battle point that continued this year with uh, Google's Pixel 3 camera uh, generally being the consensus as the best camera that's out there on a smartphone uh, and Apple continuing to up its game to try and basically maintain a good camera because cameras matter. Um, Apple, meanwhile, seeing its iPhone flattening sales has decided to hide sales units going forward and just uh, report revenue and it raised prices or at least it released a much more expensive collection of phones. So, um, uh, Carolina, maybe if we could start with you, sort of what what did you see as like the big the big trend in smartphones this year, and where do you think it's headed next year? Flattening, of course. I mean, the the mature markets are oversaturated, and I think from a technology perspective, hardware is not changing as often as it used to, and platforms are stable. And you know, we've seen what we have been talking about since. Oh God, five, six years ago, which is basically software gives you the updates that you want on your phone. Your phone gets better without you having to go and get a new one every year. Um, cost of the phones getting higher and, and people being happy or at least, you know, going and, and, and do it and, and fork out the money for it for a couple of reasons. One is that they're totally dependent on these things. And so the ROI that they feel they get is very high. And the second is that in in most mature markets, even if the phone is a thousand dollars, you think about what you pay every month. And so the the you know the the real cost of the phone is still not fully sensed by uh, by the buyer. But I do think that there's a, when you're talking about competition, what I think is, is extremely interesting at the moment is the fact that there's a lot of innovation coming out of China. And in, in the US, we only see snippets of it. And, and, you know, we see it as we, you know, in the market. So analysts and reporters and, you know, consumers who are into tech and, and read reviews see it way more than your average smartphone buyer in in America sees because if you go into a store is you know it is all apple and and samsung and um you know there's some motorola's and lgs in there but you know the market is very bifurcated and yet we have you know companies like huawei and we have uh oneplus uh, that are making inroads in other markets and um bring you know diversity into into the, the scene and that really got to me when i was in in london in, a couple of months ago to go to the huawei launch of the, of the p20 pro and just looking around the city and and i've forgotten that europe is very different from the us in terms of phones and you know there were so many models that people were and brands that people were carrying way more diverse than than here in the us and i started to wonder if because of the current climate of uh, U.S. and China, we are not going to see as much variety and we're not going to see, you know, competition in the same way, which, you know, to some extent might give some vendors like like Apple and Samsung a a sense of, um, you know, of leadership that is not actually... Uh, as stable as they think it is, because sure, if the U.S. market is is hard to come in and and the carriers are 
dictating basically who wins and who loses. But uh, in other markets, that's not the case. And uh, and competition is, is getting tough. Definitely um, computational photography, a, a core to the experience for the consumers, is also something really easy to use to explain AI to a consumer in an unthreatening way, right? It's something that makes your pictures better. Um, and then, and you know, it, you focus on that and, and you don't care that in order to do that, you might actually tell them that, oh, this is a picture of me and this is my daughter and this is my dog and all of that, right? Because it's still about data. It's still about machine learning. Um, but what you see as a user is that your picture is great. And so you're happy with that. Um, and the whole debate between, you know, what needs to be software and what's what needs to be hardware is also fascinating. You know, Google is like, we only need one camera because our software kicks ass. And on the other side is like, no, we have 17 cameras on the back of your phone. <laughs> so that's where we're going, right? <laughs> We've given you a camera that can make phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hold it by the sides because the back is all cameras now. <laughs> oh God, well, we we you know we got alone. to four. It's not going to take long, right? When when the back is going to be all covered up. Oh yeah, we're doing five blades. There's no doubt about it. That's going to happen. <laughs> they're they're just going to keep on. I mean, that's that's but I like it, it. That's because that's how people react to these devices. Is they care about the photography, it, and it's a it's a point of sales. It's it's fascinating when you think about the early days of the smartphone, where it, there was such a feature war in terms of just like fundamental software features and things like that. And now, uh, what are we what are we left with? We're left with kind of those other sort you know machine learning on device uh connection to cloud assistance but it's the the camera like because the camera really matters and it's a way for you to differentiate yourself and i mean i think all the smartphone cameras are pretty incredible and what they're capable of doing like my iphone uh 10s the the camera is amazing i i know the pixel 3 camera is also amazing and the night yeah. the night shot thing that yeah. google did across the it's actually works on all the pixels is an example of some really smart combination of software and hardware so like it matters that's that's but they also have to find some place to market it it's like 3d tvs remember where it was like well what do we do now everybody's got an hd tv we're like we'll market 3d and people rejected it but a better camera at this point people aren't rejecting they they care about it um steven what do you think about uh smartphone world anything you noticed this year as you were doing your daily news updates about smartphone announcements just notches everywhere, man. Notches. Oh, notches. yes. I mean, that goes to the conversation earlier, right? That these things are, I mean, for a lot of people, for me, most days, they're a camera first. And these companies are willing to make sacrifices in other areas to make the cameras better, right? So the camera bump was the first thing. And now we've got notches everywhere. And now there's a, a Samsung phone that's basically like a, a got punch. a hole punched yeah, through punch. it, mm -hmm. which is like super interesting. And I think it looks uh, better than some of the notches we've seen. <coughs> Pixel. <clears throat> but um, <laughs> I, I think that's really where the innovation is going to be as these things get better and better cameras and that's what they you know that's what they are. We made a joke that it's a camera that sometimes makes phone calls. That's kind of how I view my iPhone some days. And I think that's only going to continue. One thing that I think is important that links to the fact that you know Apple is going to stop reporting uh unit sales is that the mar people are still not understanding that you know there's only so many people in the world that can afford a smartphone and so many people that actually want one, right? And so we are now at capacity or very close to that. And so sales, especially of something like an iPhone that has a high price tag, are saturated. And so you're trying to shift the conversation away from volume and on two things. One, your install base and, and talking about the services and all of that. But the other one is is the, the, the price, right? The ASP that is rising because even if there's less people buying the phones, the phone that you're now selling are way more expensive than they used to be. So, um, you know, that I, I think is an interesting conversation to have as to where are the company's going and what is, to your point, Jason, about what consumers are embracing and what they're not, right? To get them to upgrade their phone at least every two years, right? If you can't yeah. do it every year. And and I think that is pushing companies to do different, uh, think about it differently. 
and hopefully in a different way than the PC market at has done in the past. I think that now the PC market has caught up with, with the smartphone makers and they have a, a different mentality around, you know, what consumers value and what they don't. But how important this little piece of glass that we carry everywhere um, is, is that I, I don't see that changing. You know, a lot of people ask me what is going to be as big as a smartphone in 10 years. And it's really hard because in a way is a bit like Facebook, right? It does so many different things for us that you could do the same things, but how many devices are you carrying? Well, it's the most personal computing we have. Mm-hmm. It's the most Absolutely. Im- most important device that most people have, right? And which which goes to the buying cycle that I imagine that there, you know, in some ways the argument is stronger about getting a new phone than it is about any other device because you oh, have totally. direct impact on having that like in your life everywhere based on what's in your pocket. I had a really hard time wrapping my brain around a four-figure smartphone price for a while. And then a friend of mine who's about 10 years younger said, I'm not buying a fancy computer because I don't need the computer as much as I need the phone. And she said, I'm fine with paying a lot for a phone because I use that phone for everything. The computer is just there for me to uh, balance my books on Excel and write reports for work and so on and so forth. And once I realized that the phone is a pri- is the primary and personal computing device, and at this point, you know, PCs are basically toasters, which is that they're 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 functional machines for a lot of people, as opposed to the the machine that you have your intimate and personal relationship with. That's when I was like, oh, it makes sense. Stephen, you okay? <laughs> Stephen, you still with us? Is it is it okay? I said most people. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> oh, no, Rachel, but he flipped the table, everybody. Oh, no, I knew oh, it was no. going to happen sometime. Oh, no. oh. But, you know, for, yeah, I was thinking about how like in the 90s when you saw people who had like the first waves of of, of, of workhorse um, Apple portable machines and they would just, you know, they'd cover them with stickers, they would customize them like crazy. There was this real user engagement with their portable computers. And you still see that among a certain subgenre of users, but for most people, it's the phone. Like they buy a bunch of different cases so that it can go with their outfit, or they've got those little things they stick in the back of the phone for better selfie portraits or what have you. And just the sheer amount of personalization that goes into it, it's a, it's, it's a primary device. And I don't see it being replaced that easily because how are you going to get something that is as portable and as pleasurable and as useful as a phone. What what could you possibly improve on at this point? All right. Well, um, I want to move on and talk about some other stories and do our little grab bag. First, I want to take a break and tell you about our second sponsor. This episode of Download is brought to you by Hello. Hello makes insanely comfortable buckwheat pillows. I don't know if you ever tried a buckwheat pillow. They're different. They're not like a fluffy pillow. They're definitely different, but there are a lot of great things about them. They support your head and neck. They don't collapse under the weight of your head like a traditional pillow. It stays cool and dry when compared to feather or foam pillows. There is no cool side. It's all cool. They, they breathe better. It doesn't get all warm and humid when you put your head on a buckwheat pillow. You can add or remove filling to suit your needs so your pillow can be just the way you like it. Buckwheat pillows are not a new invention. People have been sleeping on them for years. They're very popular in Japan. They often appear on pillow menus at super fancy hotels. I have one that I've been trying out, and I'll tell you what's great about it is that it's super comfy to sleep on because your head doesn't get it's not bouncing around in the foam. It uh, it basically the hull the shells like move uh with your with the, like the back of your head and they basically form a perfect fit with support nothing's kind of poking into your head nothing's dropping you don't get to have like an awkward neck feel it's just a perfect fit if you're trying to lay there and go to sleep it's very gentle and it's made in the USA with quality construction and materials the certified organic cotton case cut and sewn for durability the buckwheat is grown and milled in the US you're probably curious you want, probably want to say, hmm, I, I'd like to try one of those out, but I'm a little worried that it's going to be weird and I'm not going to want it. Well, guess what? Sleep on it for 60 nights. And then if hollow isn't right for you, you just send it back and you get a refund. That's it. So you will like it. And if you won't like it, 
then uh, you just send it back and get your money back. Go to hollowpillow.com slash download right now to get your own buckwheat pillow. H-U-L-L-O-P-I-L-L-O-W.com slash download. And if you buy more than one, they have a special discount of up to $20 off, depending on what size you choose. There's fast, free shipping with every order. 1% of profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. Give it a try. If you love it, you keep it. If you don't, send it back. It's that simple. Hollowpillow.com slash download. Thank you to Hollow for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. All right, uh, before we get to our uh, uh, stories, our grab bag of stories and our predictions, I want to tell you about the uh, story we may have failed to mention, the uh, submitted by a listener. And the, the story I've chosen is by listener John L., who says, uh, Bloomberg and the spy chip, which sounds like a great... Uh, uh, like a novel title or maybe a parable of some kind that's come down many generations, the tale of Bloomberg and the spy chip. Uh, worth mentioning this, a, a story that I hope we get some resolution of in 2019 from 2018. The uh, a big report from Bloomberg that there uh, is infiltration of servers in various cloud services organizations where uh, the Chinese government has has infiltrated uh, subcontractors and they've inserted little tiny chips that can uh, basically take over those systems and uh, allow them to relay information back. And it's a very scary story that was immediately denied by everyone else involved who says flatly that it didn't happen. <laughs> Bloomberg says it stands by its story and that they have multiple sources telling them that that it happened. Uh, the companies involved have instituted uh, investigations. Uh, the the uh, Supermicro, who was the contractor, uh, subcontractor, they hired an outside firm to investigate and they said they found no evidence of this. It is a fascinating example. Some people have said, well, maybe the companies are just saying this because they've been sworn to secrecy by the uh, by the U.S. government. The U.S. government said, nope. And the companies said, <laughs> nope, that's not accurate. Uh, and so we're left with this very weird thing where Bloomberg is now assigned a different reporter to investigate, to reinvestigate the same story to see if they can get confirmation, which sounds very much like Bloomberg is also concerned about the source of the story. Very mysterious. Definitely a story that engendered a lot of, uh, of fear about the U.S. reliance on the Chinese supply chain in an era where the U.S. and China may be, uh, may be enemies or there may be at least a lot of industrial espionage going on, uh, and yet uh, denied more strongly than one would ever expect, there, thereby making you wonder, what is the deal with this story? John L., thank you for submitting it. I hope we get an answer, because it is super weird and a mysterious story from 2018 that we're still kind of scratching our heads about, I think. Weird story. Okay, time for the personal story grab bag. Uh, something we haven't discussed that you might want to mention as we're wrapping up 2018 and rolling into 2019. Uh, just, you know, pick pick a favorite and, uh, and talk about it for a minute. Lisa, what do you have out of your personal story grab bag? <laughs> I think my uh, favorite story in the, oh my God, that's cool sense, was uh, from March of this past year. When I was at uh, IBM Think and I sat through a keynote presentation on using blockchain to secure food safety all the way from farm through shipping to stores. And the reason I thought that was so interesting is it tells me that we've basically we've gotten to a level of computer literacy where this technology is going to get rolled out and used. And, and I have no doubt it will, because the whole point to it is to reduce the costs associated with, um, you know, food safety warnings. So this will ultimately cut down, but it says that the, t it says that tech, that our, our, our comfort with technology has gotten to a point where we can use it, um, at the we're growing lettuce level of things. And, um, to me, it says that technology is now, uh, enough of it. It's, it's as ubiquitous and as commonly understood. Some aspects are as ubiquitous and commonly understood as pen and paper or um, any other big communications technology. And that's really exciting when you think about how little time, comparatively speaking, it took for us to get there. All right, Carolina, what's your uh, grab bag story for 2018 into 2019? I have a story and, and a, a personal conversation hmm. that got me thinking. So the story is uh, an article from the Wall Street Journal uh, from last week, I think it was, around Fortnite. And uh, 
the reason why I bring it up is is nothing to do with the, with the story per se of what the topic was, which was addiction as your wisdom. But I thought that story just captured the year so well, where like a lot of the problems that we talked about this year, yes, one screen addiction, but the other two that for me were were more interesting were one, how the story portrays that Fortnite is only played by boys and and having a girl uh, that has a bunch of girlfriends who play Fortnite, that was really annoying. Um, And the other one was around making the issue worse than it was. Uh, if you read the article, and I don't know if you have, but um, it it read like some kind of Shakespearean play where it was over-dramatized. And I'm not saying that there's no issue and I'm not, um, I don't want to downplay the fact that there are parents who are struggling with with monitor all of this. And, and I'm one of them, you know, how... How often do you go in and check and and supervise your kids without making them feel like you're opening up your diary and reading their diary kind of, you know, feeling is is not easy. But how this made it like a zillion time worse for the sake of of making news and how it denied the fact that girls are into tech, that this is a game that is not just about shooting and killing people, but is about coming together as a community. It was actually a huge social aspect of Fortnite um, that if you have played or watch your kids play, you know about. And and that to me was just like, I don't know, like the cherry on the cake of a lot of the of what's wrong with the way that we talk about technology sometimes, especially when it comes to gaming and perpetrating this thing that game is just for boys. And that really got me going. And the other one very quickly is uh, a conversation that I was having with with a friend who um, has been a, a, a CEO for many years and who pointed out that the way that technology is going, where we have this massive tech companies and then these startups is making it harder for from a job perspective for people that have experience and you know want to uh, look at new opportunities to actually found find those those opportunities and that got me thinking about more broadly about the job market and how we're talking about the you know the the pipeline being an issue when it comes to diversity but I don't know how often we stop and think about how actually hard it is to get a job. Um, you know, if I went back in my career, I don't know if I could get a job today by going in and interviewing and, you know, seeing how the skills have, have changed and um, get recognized for the experience I have uh, because you're either overqualified, you know, if you're going to a start startup or you don't have, you know, kind of management level uh, experience if you go into a big tech company and, you know, you didn't bring a product to market or whatever it is that we're looking for these days. And and I was wondering what that does to the next, you know, the next generation and what skills they need to have, not just about coding versus, you know, have a nice penmanship, but really from, from you know, going to university and being prepared and how they're going to get that experience that I think in the past was easier to kind of go in and grow up and, and, and move around. I don't know if that's easy. Um, I think now. you're right. Um Back in the 90s, when I was at Wired, one of the things that I noticed was a lot of our guys in engineering had no engineering experience whatsoever. They were just very good at hands-on solutions and improvising, and they managed to get the experience to work their way into careers that would be impossible now without without the right quote without quote unquote the right college education, the quote unquote right internships, and or being in one of three or four areas of the country where these kinds of job opportunities are. Um, IT used to be a great way for people to kind of slide into the field sideways and um, optimize the skill set they had. And that itself has changed so much. Um, I think you're right about all of the tech industry becoming the same way where the opportunities are so concentrated and so different compared to what used to be there. 
And there's a lot of referral going on as well, right? Oh, so yeah. if you know, try and go into a Google without not you know, without knowing somebody, you know, you're never going to be picked up by the headhunter. Uh, Stephen, do you have something out of the grab bag? I do. It's not as heavy duty or serious as any of that. Uh, but I can't shake this feeling that Microsoft may be a cool company. <laughs> what? Oh my God, you are speaking my language. I was so mad you put this down because it's so right. It's sort of upsetting. Uh, I, I was with a, a friend. <laughs> I was with a friend recently. He is in IT in a really big organization. And he and I were having this conversation. The conversation was, is Microsoft... Or, or are Microsoft or Apple a better software company in 2018? And that, that's an interesting debate. But then I sort of had the thought, like, we're debating Apple versus Microsoft again, which is something that a lot of people haven't done in a long time. I think their hardware is really exciting. I think what they're doing to show OEMs, like, this is what a premium PC can be. They're doing some really interesting stuff with the, with the, uh, that hardware division. And Windows 10, I know they've had some pretty rough updates and they've had some, mm-hmm. some things they've had to roll back and stop. But I think where Windows 10 is overall is on pretty solid ground. They're doing some really interesting stuff with design and they've, they're have they kind of figuring out what this world of universal apps is going to be. Something, by the way, that Apple is getting ready to get into starting in 2019, mm-hmm. I think. So mm-hmm. I kind of think they're a cool company and uh, that's... That's not something I would have said five years ago. It's probably not something I would have said even two years ago. But I think that's where they are now, and that's good for everybody in the in the playing field. I agree with that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think you can credit Satya Nadella for setting company culture, but it wouldn't go forward if they didn't have really solid talent at every level. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I feel like Apple and Microsoft are are two sides of the same coin in some ways. In the in the sense that mm-hmm. my, Apple has these two different computing platforms for you know traditional computer and mobile and um, and so they have tried. I think twenty nineteen we'll see them really try to basically say, okay, uh, we have one app platform and iOS apps are now going to be on the Mac too because they they're trying to get those you know, things connected because their most important product is the iPhone and has been so for 10 years. And the Mac, you know, and, and even the iPad to a certain degree struggles with the fact that they aren't the priority. And if they can try to unify things more, they'll be more efficient. Microsoft takes it from the other perspective, which is they they don't, they, they lost the mobile operating system battle. So they have to try and take their desktop operating system and make it mobile. And that is, you know, there are similar challenges with that. And, and the result is that you have people saying that the iPad is a nice tablet that's not a great laptop and there are people who say that the surface is a good tablet or a good laptop but not a great tablet and they're both headed in the same converged direction that's from right. different mm-hmm. points and so they're they're dealing with a lot of the same issues kind of in reverse of one another and that's you know boy of course microsoft and apple are are uh, are facing each other uh looking through a mirror of course they are it's almost like it, it was fated to be this way <laughs> Um, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's a weird story, Stephen. But uh, you're right; it is. It is such a Nadella has done yeah a lot of really great things at Microsoft. I think um, my grab bag story is a story we keep hearing, but I, I feel like as a uh, a window into how um, machine learning is going to change everything. Uh, there was a good story the other day in the in the um, the New York Times that I thought was representative of this really struck me, which is about the new machine learning algorithms that uh, Google has used to uh, create a chess uh, a chess computer. And of course, Deep Blue many, many years ago beat Gary Kasparov, and it was a big moment where computers uh, in in uh, ninety seven computers were better at chess than than um than humans. But that was a brute force method where they would look at all possible moves, and that was how Deep Blue worked. Alpha Zero, which is a the same kind of thing that did the, where they did Alpha Go to to beat people at Go. By the way, Go, a game that I remember reading uh, twenty years ago, would never be playable by a computer when they were talking about Kasparov and Deep Blue. That computers would never be able to to figure out Go, and of course, Alpha Go beat the world the Go, world Go champion. Um, and this new uh, this new Alpha Zero uh, thing is using machine learning to teach itself the rules of chess rather than having a uh, a chess program written that can brute force all the results. And the result is a beautiful style of chess that is able to defeat all 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 computer programs that have been the best at chess up to now easily. 
and in a way that is not the kind of brute force method that chess experts have seen other computer chess programs do. It is artful. It is very much like in the AlphaGo story from a couple years ago when AlphaGo would make these moves and all the people who closely follow Go would say, wow, that is a that is a beautiful kind of move and not one we've seen before. No, no human had come up with that strategy before, but it, we understand why it's happening and it's beautiful. This is what's happening with chess now. And chess, you know, because of the constrained rules and all that, it is a microcosm. The world is more complex. It will take a lot more to apply these kind of techniques to diagnosing patients or reading people's x-rays or other things that could possibly be helped by this technology. But it is fascinating to see the difference between using computers as a brute force uh, computing machine versus having them learn something to a point where we don't understand what their processes are and we kind of can't understand it but it is going to get an efficient result and i think that the 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 new york times piece really summed it up in a fascinating way which is there's a huge part of human history where we didn't understand why things happen the way they did and then there was this period in human history where human beings figured out why things happen the way they did but we may be exiting that era into a new area where we once again, don't really understand why we got from point A to point B, because the machine intelligence that we built to find that answer is kind of not is beyond our, our, our realm of intelligence. And I do think that this is one of those ways, as we keep adding cores to neural engines inside processors, inside our smartphones, and as the cloud continues to grow, I, I think this is uh, something to watch in terms of really like uh, exiting a, a world that is even understandable. This is your science fictional singularity, right, Lisa? This is the moment where yeah. where um, the computers, <laughs> yeah. and, and not in the way that like necessarily... This is the moment that the Matrix happens, where, where like all the AIs sit around watching that, like we watch at Mystery Science Theater 3000. I, I was I was thinking, I was thinking <laughs> that it may not be that we ever have a truly artificially intelligent like creature that is a computer that is sentient, but more that we will have computers that we send on tasks and they will solve them for us and we won't know how they solve them. And that's fascinating. It's good, but it's also kind and of fascinating. It's Douglas scary. Adams. Well, it's Douglas Adams and the computer Computer that says 42, yeah. where you have no idea why that's the answer. Just <laughs> Exactly. Answer. All right. Um, before we go, I want to go around and uh, quickly get some predictions. What would uh, a year looking forward, looking back episode be without a bold prediction for 2019? Lisa, give us your bold prediction. So this actually springboards a little bit off of the Microsoft is cool thing. They're spending a lot of time looking now at how people focus or lose their focus and how to optimize productivity. And they've begun to put that approach in their apps. But I've also fielded an increasing number of pitches on tools that promise to help you improve your focus and cut down on multitasking. So I think this year we're going to see a big tech movement towards the promise of helping you keep your attention and use it more productively, sort of like a productivity slash mindfulness thing. And the idea of multitasking and flitting from thing to thing like a hummingbird, that's going to cycle out as as people are, are really into the idea of deep thinking, deep concentration. All right. Carolina, what's your bold prediction? I thought I did something around smartphones as we talked about it. So it's not as... Um, life-changing is what Lisa just talked about. But for the, the US market, I think it is quite extraordinary, which is that um, I strongly believe that OnePlus will break into the US market. And yes, and I know some listeners are going to say they're already here. Yes, they are. But my point is they're going to break that duopoly of um, of uh, Samsung and, and Apple will actually become a key player in the US um, because what they're doing um, with Android is actually pretty cool at the moment. All right, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll keep an eye on OnePlus uh, as we are recapping the headlines in the next 52 weeks. Uh, Stephen, what's your bold prediction? I think we we will see some privacy legislation begin to take shape in Congress. I think that'll be led by this new incoming class of House members who uh, seem much more in tune with this sort of thing than you know the senator who asked how Facebook makes its money. I, I, I don't think it's going to get anywhere. I'm not saying we're going to have GDPR uh, US here, but I think we will begin to have actual meaningful conversations about this in Congress for the first time. 
And I, I think that will be, I'm going, I'm just going to swing for the fences. I think it, it may actually end up being good, but we'll see. Well, mine is that I'm going to, again, I said bold prediction. So this is a thing that I'm not sure will happen, but I want to predict it boldly. And that is uh, Apple, um, because Apple is going to launch its video service this year. We know that that wouldn't be a bold prediction. But I, I think the Apple services focus has led to a lot of different Apple services and a lot of different things showing up on my credit card bill. And so I'm going to put a stake in the ground for 2019 that maybe this is the year where Apple does its version of Amazon Prime and offers a one-stop subscription service where it's like, look, just admit it to yourself. You belong to us. You will you will now pay us a monthly or annual fee and you will get access to all of our stuff for one uh, not entirely low price. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our big wrap up, big thoughts, to pause to consider our picture in the universe and then uh, move on to all hail the computer lords. No, uh, move on to the Remember these stories of the week. And, you know, CES is happening. Ooh. So I guess oh. we're going to all I'm sorry, I had to say it so much for Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> CES happens now. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, not my favorite. Uh, before we go, uh, one last time, Lisa. Tell people where they can find your stuff on the internet. I think the best place to start is my Twitter account, and that's L-S-C-H-M-E-I-S-E-R. And Carolina, where can people find your stuff? On Twitter at Caro, uh, C-A-R-O underscore Milanese, M-I-L-A-N-E-S-I. And I have my weekly column on techpinions.com and our podcast. And uh, given that hopefully at least and I will remain favorite for 2019, mm-hmm. we'll be back here. Uh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> you're, not, you're not banned. You're not going in the Hall of Fame and being put on a shelf, I'm sure. <laughs> if, you, if you'd like to come back, we would love to have you back. Uh, Stephen. Uh, thank you for a year of uh, headlines across Download and Subnet both. Yeah, it's it's been quite the journey this year. Yeah. But let's do it again. Onward uh, and into 2019. Thank you, everybody out there for listening to Download. And until a, a little more than a week from now when we're back uh, the following week on Thursday, our usual day, we will keep watching those headlines so you don't have to. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs>